Go beyond the headlines and deepen your understanding of the forces shaping our world today on The Political Scene, a newly updated podcast from The New Yorker. With episodes three times each week, The Political Scene accesses the sharpest minds on politics, offering insight and analysis about everything from abortion rights to the war in Ukraine. Join me, Tyler Foggett, for conversations with the most knowledgeable minds from The New Yorker that will dive deep on the most interesting political story of the week. Then, Susan Glasser, Jane Mayer, and Evan Osnos gather to hash out what's happening in Washington, D.C., with an insider's understanding of the high stakes at this perilous moment for American democracy. Plus, our editor David Remnick will provide you with insightful storytelling with a mix of interviews and profiles. That's all happening on the political scene. Make sure you're following it now, wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Jason Kander. And I'm Ravi Gupta. And this is Majority 54, the podcast for meaningful conversations that change minds, change votes, and win elections. Ravi, where are you? Are you in the United States right now? I am in London right now. I figured, given they just got a an Indian prime minister, I figure it's a good time to move. You know, yeah. we save democracy in the United States, and I think that's it. I'm out. My job yeah. is done. Yeah, I've done what I needed to do. Yeah, I, the only reason I know is, I mean, I, I would have no way to know because you did not communicate with me over the weekend because I watched that tragic no, Bill's loss, no, and I texted you, and I was like trying to uh make you feel better i don't know i wasn't doing that but i wasn't it being never me. works let me tell you i something. was just checking on you it never works because no the only thing it does is it reminds me that the game happened which i have i'm an expert at compartmentalization when it comes to sports like you become a bills fan you immediately just learn how to tuck it away and, and being here helps because there's not a lot of bills fans i did watch it at a bills bar which was weird because all the people there were British and I couldn't understand why they would choose to, <laughs> yeah, to why they would opt into this tragedy that is the Buffalo Bills. But they were asking me like questions because I've been to three games this year, which is absurd already. It's like not even halfway through the season. And yeah, I was, you know, just curiosity. But yeah, don't ever do that again. Just even <laughs> even if even if Josh Allen were to just disappear into thin air in the middle of the game. I don't care you how weird and crazy it is. You always text me during Chiefs games. And I know so because I just you have was... won already, so it doesn't matter yeah. what the Chiefs do. It's, it's that. I mean, I'm not going to talk about it. It's just a regular season game. There's I nothing... was just looking to see if we have a better help ad this week. We don't, but it feels like this would be perfect. Your avoidance that you're dealing with here that doesn't I seem do healthy. I do just fine. I do just fine. Well, I finally heard back from you, and you sent me a picture of was it an oxygen chamber in London? Yeah. I'm exper- as you know, I'm big on self experimentation, yeah. and I have been doing oxygen therapy lately as a way to lengthen my telomeres. Which I know is my my telomeres that the the ends of your chromosomes they shorten as you age, oh. and so I've been doing oxygen therapy. There's an Israeli study out there that shows that this is one of the ways you can lengthen your telomeres. This is all very accessible to our audience, I imagine. This is awesome. Sure, yeah. This is like an aren't we relatable? <laughs> yeah, this is like uh, bringing back to our we relatable. It's not even the only thing. I think I wrote you guys in our fitness group this week just with a few of the things I've been doing lately. I've been really crazy with my self-experimentation this year. So what's uh, going on in your world before we move uh, on? Yeah, Diana, this is her last week of radiation for uh, breast cancer. So that's very exciting. And uh, All going well? Yeah, going well. Kind of rough. Uh, you know, kind of rough, but she's handling it well. And so we're excited about that. And, you know, 
other stuff, work stuff. So, all right, let's let's move on. Well, shout uh, out oh, to Diana. Oh, the, Chiefs, she, the Chiefs won. That was oh, the other thing. It. I forgot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, shout out to Diana, who's continuing to work out, at least from what I can see in our workout crew. Pretty amazing. impressive. So, okay, all right, uh, let's talk some trash. Now, we have a natural item. We promise everybody we are going to get to Kerry Lake in a moment. But there's this one weird thing that Edie kind of teed up for us and Ravi didn't know anything about. And I was like, yeah, I've been noticing this. It is weird. There's this, I guess he's a pundit troll. I don't know what he is on uh, Twitter. His name is Nick Adams. And this guy has in his like Twitter name, it'll, it says in parentheses, alpha male. And that seems to be his whole deal. It came to Edie's attention because he keeps tweeting about Hooters. It's like over 30 tweets that she found about Hooters. Can I and- just say something about the Twitter alpha male thing? It's like calling yourself humble. Well, I wanted to talk about it because, you know, with Josh Hawley has a book coming out called Manhood. And this is clearly we've talked about this before. This is clearly an angle that these people are taking that, you know, alpha males. And it kind of fits in with the way that they've positioned their party over the many decades. Alpha males are Republicans and beta males are Democrats. And so like this first tweet that comes up when you search it, beta males go to hipster coffee shops for a dirty chai soy latte, (laughs) while alpha males go to Hooters to drink beer and watch hockey. Very specific with the hockey. No, I feel like uh, also you could do both in the same day. Not not that I'm recommending it. Like the, the time of day you're going to a coffee shop and the time of day you're going to Hooters are two different parts of the day. Like these aren't competing yeah. activities. This is one that uh, hopped out at me. I remember seeing this and thinking, well, this is interesting. Alpha males eat wings and drink beer at Hooters with the boys. Beta males <laughs> nibble on tapas at Spanish vegan cafes with their wives. The reason this one jumps out at me is I remember I actually had drafted a reply to this and then thought, what am I But I have there? actually been to a Spanish tapas cafe with you and your wife, if you remember. That's right. When I was in uh, Kansas true. City last time. That's true. I forgot. <laughs> yeah. Um, and we didn't go to Hooters. So I guess it we're a couple vegan. of yeah. beta males. Um, and, you know, I was thinking about this, like, I've been to Hooters. Like, I was in the United States Army. Like, it's, it, for whatever reason, it's a thing that people do. Co-ed groups of uh, soldiers will go to Hooters. And I will say, that I'm not trying to bag on Hooters, but I never went to Hooters and didn't get sick. So, like, <laughs> it's not like the food is tremendous. And what I found out so interesting, and I almost replied to this, is like, this dude is saying alpha males don't hang out with their wives. And beta males do. And I almost replied to it and was like, I guess I'm a beta male because my wife is cool and funny and like a total smoke show. So like, yeah, I go wherever she wants to go. Not sure what's going on like in your marriage, buddy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah but anyway. Alpha males hide from their wives, I think is yeah. what you said. Yeah. Like alpha males apparently have wives they don't like and aren't attracted to. Like that doesn't seem desirable. I can't wait for this Josh Hawley book to come out. Do you have any idea when this comes out? Because I feel like we have to do a special episode just on this book. I looked it up. It comes out in May and I've, as much as I hate the idea of paying for it and I, boy, you know me, I don't actually read political books like by anybody. I think I might actually read this and I I might do something I never do. I think I might hate read this, like hate consume it. I genuinely feel I've got to read it because I feel like I've got to get inside this argument and understand it from the inside out because I think it's going to take a much bigger place in the Republican talking points. Yeah, I always think they take a kernel of truth, right? Which is there are all sorts of pathologies happening uh, with males of different ages. One example is just middle-aged men being more isolated than ever been before and not making friends. And they take this kernel of truth and then they want to blame somebody for it. 
and they want to blame liberals for it. And mm -hmm. I do think it's important for us to fight back against that kind of stuff. Well, and it's it's got, it's a message that can resonate because it's easier to be their version of a quote unquote alpha male. And then it confirms your life choices. So like, you know, if you look at this Nick Adams fella, his whole thing is like ogle women. So there's sexism. And then there's the other part that's just like eat food that's not good for you, right? Like he's making fun of being, you know, anything that is a dietary restriction of any kind. And it's like, well, yeah, that's easier to do. All of that right. requires less discipline. Yeah. <laughs> so, of course, it's very appealing to people. But what always gets me about it is like, okay, well, let's let's really break this down. Like alpha male and beta male. I assume like in the state of nature, what we're talking about is the alpha male is physically stronger and will impose their will on the beta, right? Like that's, that's I, I assume, the root of all this. Well, like the dude who just sits around and like stares at people and eats food that's bad for him versus the dude who like takes care of himself and like doesn't just sit that dude is the alpha like that dude right. is going to win the fight like so i i find it fascinating that it's all really just confirmation bias it's like hey look you don't want to be empathetic, you don't want to be respectful, and you want to eat things that make you feel good, but make your life shorter, guess what? That's the way to be. Like, if you're with us, we're saying, you're the cool, you're the cool kid. And uh, anyway, that's clearly where they're going. I'm sure we'll see something about that in, um, in Holly's book. All right, now, on to more serious trash talk, which is, or more relevant trash talk, I should say. Did Carrie Lake win the, the governor's race in Arizona? In fact, she did not. She lost. Oh. It's official now. And this is part of a larger trend of election deniers not faring well in 2024. So Jim Marchant was defeated by Cisco Aguiar uh, in Nevada's secretary of state race. So this means that all but one of the so-called America first slate of candidates, the sort of election conspiracists, lost. And then you put the Carrie Lake stuff and... Mastriano loss and all this stuff together, it was a just horrific year to be an election denier. And I think this is, this kind of gets to a conversation that you and I have been having for a long time on this podcast, which is, will the January 6th stuff matter? You and I went back and forth on this stuff. I think by and large, we were a little bit pessimistic that it would be a winning issue. And there's some polling out there, AP Vocast and others that showed that this, though this wasn't the number one issue that people were naming, it certainly was in the back of their minds as they went to the polls. I think it had a lot to do with why Generation Z voters turned out the way they did. They probably, I mean, they definitely already leaned in our direction. So is yeah. it necessarily an issue that turned them from, you know, independent to, to democratic? No, but I think it persuaded them to go vote in a lot of cases. Uh, yeah. and, and in that way, I think it definitely made an impact. Millennials as well. I mean, people across the generations, but obviously the Generation Z had the biggest punch when it comes to pound for pound, uh, you know, how, how progressive uh, as a generation it is. So them turning out a lot was obviously great for us. Side note, with the exception of Georgia, where Raffensperger, the Republican Secretary of State, has not been an election denier, every other, as far as I can tell, swing state Secretary of State race that was up went our way. Our friend Adrian Fontes won, in fact, outpaced the governor's race quite a bit and, you know, was called pretty early by Arizona standards. Um, so he won the Secretary of State's race, which is so cool. I mean, like we had we had Adrian on like a year and a half ago when it was literally the day that he conceded his reelection as Maricopa County recorder. 
That is right. Yeah, we did have him on that day when he found out he lost the last race. And now he's the Secretary of State of Arizona. So not a good day to uh, be in an election and deny the existence of fair elections. Who knew? And what I thought was funny bringing us to the talking trash part of this is Carrie Lake, like one of the most prominent election deniers, her response to not to uh, Katie Hobbs being declared the winner is Arizonans know BS when they see it, to mm-hmm. which a chorus of people. Literally everybody uh, on Twitter. Everybody literally. replied with, that's why you lost, <laughs> <laughs> which was kind of perfect. That and I guess in the closing days, she decided to just go negative on John McCain. Doesn't seem like a great way to hold together the Republican vote in Arizona. So, well, I think it, she is the most glaring example of overplaying your hand. I think she and a lot of these mega Republicans, she said she was ultra mega. As you know, you've run for office. You tend to run to the left or the right, depending on what party you're in. And then you, you tack to the center in the general election. It's as tried and true as as anything in politics. And some of these candidates ran to the right in the primary and then even more right in the general and thought they could get away with it. And by and large, they didn't. I know this is talking trash, but I I, I earnestly... I'm just so, and maybe this is why I'm not as bothered by two tragic Bills losses in a row, is that this was so shockingly heartening about the American public. I I was nearly despondent for the past six months about what these candidates winning would mean for the future of our country. And the fact that voters defied, you know, 50 years of history in midterm elections with the polling and, and the approval rating that Biden had and delivered the kind of margins they did in this race is absolutely stunning. It was a massive relief. But, you know, as I've had more of a chance to reflect on it, I realized it wasn't just that we avoided a red wave. Like, Ravi, I think we won the midterms. Like, yeah. if you, if we you won look three at elections the numbers, in a row, if you think about it 2018, yeah. 2020, 2022. We have, you know, they're not all perfect, but we we came out in better shape than our opponents did. Three elections in a row. Now, looking ahead to the next race, and maybe this is a good segue, the Senate map is terrible in 2024. We've got to play defense in West Virginia, Ohio, Arizona, which is the cinema seat. To, you know, might probably might not be her by the time we get to the general election, but... You know, Sherrod Brown, Manchin, we got to do Tester in Montana. We have almost no easy pickup opportunities. Like the best pickups we've got are places like Florida and Texas. So it's going to be a tough, tough season for us. This could be the last two years we have the Senate for a little while. I'm okay with it. You know, knowing that the odds are bad. I, I think the statement about election denialism is really important. And even if we have a tough map the next time, we'll fight that battle when we get to it. It's another reason why Georgia is so important. Yeah, we got to net that seat. Give us a little bit of a cushion. When visionary leaders capture the imagination of a nation. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other things, not because they are easy, but because they are hard. When disciplined communicators speak truth to power. Hitler knows that he will have to break us in this island or lose the war. If we can stand up to him, all Europe may be freed, and the life of the world may move forward. Humanity has been shaped by moments in which one person approached a crowd with something important to say. 
I'm John Meacham, and this is It Was Said, Season 2, a creation and production of C-13 Originals, a Cadence 13 studio, in association with the History Channel. It Was Said, Season 2. Listen and subscribe for free on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You know, lately I have been doubling back down. I'm already a very healthy eater uh, and I track all my food. And as you know, you know, Robbie, this fitness competition that we do, I'm always tracking my food. But lately I felt like it was getting into a rut, but I've been thinking lately, like, no, I need to dial back into whole foods, like actually just eating fish, taking the time to, to make eggs, that kind of stuff. And, you know, one of the things that's really helpful in reminding me to do that is my test results from Everlywell. Everlywell is digital healthcare designed for you with personalized results and accessible tools for long-term health. With over 30 at-home lab tests and high-quality vitamins and supplements, you'll be able to find the perfect test for you or your loved one. So like for me, this helped me, you know, confirm, okay, I'm good with dairy. So, you know, it's very helpful to have this sort of knowledge and then to, to act accordingly. The gift of health has never been so easy to share than it is this holiday. For listeners of the show, Everlywell is offering a discount of 20% off at-home lab tests at everlywell.com slash majority54. That's everlywell.com slash majority54 for 20% off your next at-home lab test. That's everlywell.com slash majority54. Yesterday, Donald Trump announced for president, this is his third presidential campaign. And he did it in a sort of Fidel Castro-esque hour-long speech at Mar-a-Lago that was so long, in fact, that even Fox News cut away from it after 30 minutes. I don't- It was boring. Yeah. He wasn't- I don't think his heart's in it, Chase. No. Well, he's he's got to continually top himself. I mean, right. which is why, what, he called for the execution of drug dealers, like some Duarte- Philippines stuff, you know, that's hard. When you got to continually top yourself, like you just start cutting into the bone, man. And I mean, it was weird. Like instead of doing like a big rally for an announcement, which is what you would expect him to do, instead of doing that, he did what really just looked like a speech you would give as either a concession or a victory speech. It looked like the room of of swells that mm-hmm. gather on election night who can pay to get in there. And that that's what he did. And then, you know, they were like all dressed up for a night out and he's giving this like, I don't know, they just, they, they weren't the rowdy uh, MAGA crowd that he really, they're like, I don't know, diamond plated MAGA. And that's not... Mm-hmm. That, it just didn't have the energy that I think he was going for. Murdoch world seems to be turning against him. The New York Post, just on the bottom of the front page, put, quote, Florida man makes announcement, page 26. That's how they covered it. You know, our friend Mike Murphy said on his pod, he said, you know, call me uh, Inspector Clouseau, but I sense a memo from Rupert. Uh, is what yeah. he said about the way that Fox News and, and New York Post, but I don't know who, such an old old man reference, Mike Murphy, but I don't know who Inspector Clouseau is. I vaguely get it. Yeah, yeah. But uh, he's got a point, which is obviously there's something coordinated happening here. Interestingly, even Ivanka said she's not getting involved this time. She says, I love my father very much, but this time around, I'm choosing to prioritize my young children in private life we are creating as a family. I would add, it was a little longer statement, I would add my grifting with Saudi Arabia uh, and my husband, which probably takes a decent amount of time. Yeah. 
It's basically, I'd like to be able to go to the fancy parties again, please. May I please yeah. come back to the fancy? I liked being a fancy New York person. Can I please, can I come back? Right. And not like among liberals, just like, just like among the, you know, the polite Republicans, the people who, you know, or like, yeah. or the quiet Republican. I just, I'd like to do that again. Remember, that was fun when people didn't hate me. Like, right. uh, well, you know, you shouldn't have done what you did. Yeah, never um, turn it, yeah, we're not turning back there. I think that it's, he's still the odds on favorite to get the nomination because as Al said on this show last week, if they run literally more than one person against him, then he's going to have the voting block that he needs to, to move through the primaries. But then the other piece to this is if he doesn't get the nomination, he's going to tear them all down with him. Yes. He's going my to favorite be scenario. On the, yeah. He's yeah. going to be on the sidelines, just heckling them, making it where people don't want to go out and vote. Basically what he did in the Georgia runoff this last time around, not this time, but the time before where he spent the whole time talking about how bogus all the elections were and you couldn't trust the voting. And so nobody went out and voted. There's no way, there's no way in the world that Trump loses the nomination and says, well, that was all on the up and up. It's yeah, just not going to happen. This is definitely going to be enjoyable. I just want to name it for our audience. Like the Trump DeSantis showdown and who else, you know, who Lord knows who else is going to be enjoyable. I'm just going to name it now. Just give yourself permission to enjoy it. I would rather get done with Trump as a person now and deal with a different person in DeSantis. But, but there's like a healthy debate around that, whether DeSantis is more effective, Trump, whatever. I, I get that debate. DeSantis is polling really well for the first time. He's polling ahead of Trump both nationally and even more so in early states. This is the newest poll that came out right after this election. Now, obviously, it's super preliminary, but I would say this is by far the greatest threat that Trump has faced within the party since the very early days of that 2016 primary. And there's a whole lot of time and a whole lot that can happen here. But DeSantis is a real threat to him. You do get a sense that the right wing ecosystem has moved against Trump in a very coordinated way. Everybody from the Ben Shapiro types all the way up to the Fox News is, you know, even people in Trump's own orbit seem to be skittish about this. Kayleigh McEnany said he should uh, delay his announcement. His big sin isn't that he was racist. He hated immigrants. He incited an insurrection that he pressured the Ukrainian government to investigate Biden. None of this took, you know, these took nuclear documents. None of this is a sin to the, these right wing figures like Shapiro. The biggest sin was he cost them the midterm elections. That That's the big sin he committed that caused this sort of uprising against him. They were like, well, we were riding this horse because it was a winner. Like. We ain't going to stay on this horse when it's not a winner. Like, it keeps right. biting everybody. It's, you know, like, yeah. and that's, that's what's happening. I'm just going to be interested to see if they can actually push him to the side. Also worth mentioning that Biden was asked about whether he'd run. He seemed to signal he is leaning in that direction, but that he'd be talking to his family. Any sense about, you know, do you think he's going to run? And, and when, when will we know for sure? Because if he's not going to run, which I think is the less likely scenario, he should make that decision pretty soon because it would be a disaster if he made that decision really late. I'm sure he's going to run. And I have no idea. I would, I would imagine in the next few months, I would imagine in the next few weeks, there'll be a, I am going to run. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I don't have an announce, it's sort of a, I don't have an announcement to make, but yes, I'm, go I'm going to run or whatever. However you legally say that to not yeah. bring all that to bear. So yeah, that's what I think is going to happen. Um, if he doesn't, yeah, it'll be, a 2020 style melee all over again, I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. That'd be so. fascinating. Maybe you'll, I think th there's some people who are saying that he is, it's incumbent upon him to make up his mind by the 
State of the Union, which, uh, yeah, that is soon. So I don't know. You'll be by far the oldest president ever, I think, at that point. So I think age is obviously going to play a part in at least public perceptions and his decision to do that. Like how he interprets this election is fascinating. Is this about Biden's strength or Trump's weakness or a combination of the two is probably a big debate that's happening amongst his advisors right now. Yeah, and I'm sure I know what his opinion is. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I'm not I'm not sold on this being Biden's strength. I, I would obviously vote for him again, but you know his approval rating is what it is, and I actually think he's accomplished a lot. I think he's underestimated in many ways, but I don't I don't think he should confuse himself that he doesn't have real fundamental issues to work through in the next two years here with the public. Yeah. Uh, but but put yourself in Biden's shoes, right? Like we have won three elections in a row. And yeah. in the last two, he's been intimately involved, uh, obviously. Yeah. And he's been the standard bearer in both. And, you know, if you're if you believe, which I'm sure he does, as you and I do, that like democracy is on the line now in each of these elections. I've been a person who came to the conclusion that I was the best person to win. Now I ended up not doing it and people can buy the book and read all about that. But like, mm -hmm. but I've been in that headspace where you're like, I think I'm the best chance we have. If he comes to that conclusion, he's running. Jason, I've been away now for a few days and I'm loving it out here in London, but I am missing that Helix mattress. Do you think that the mattress misses you? You know, because when you're a little kid, like your parents were like, oh, you know, your bear misses you. And so I still sometimes do that <laughs> in my mind. Uh, it still works with Bella. I'm like, hey, it's time to take a nap. And then she's like, I don't know. And then I'm like, but your bear wants to take a nap with you. And she's like, oh, yeah, good point. So anyway, I, I don't know if you ever do that with your mattress, but I think if there ever were a mattress brand that would miss you back, I, I think it's Helix. I would like to think my mattress, my Midnight Lux mattress misses me so much. Listeners. You could take the sleep quiz. It's You can get it done in under two minutes and get matched to the right mattress for you. And they offer a 100-night risk-free trial. You could try out your mattress and see how everybody adjusts to it. And if it's not right for you, you could send it back and get a full refund. Helix is offering up to $200 off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners. Go to helixsleep.com slash majority54. With Helix, better sleep starts now. All right, Jason, big question for you. When are we going to get True and Bella on Athletic Greens? Uh, I don't know. I, I got to be honest, though. I love AG1. You love AG1. Diana loves AG1. But, you know, he's a kid and it's green. So he's not exactly yeah. like, Dad, when do I get to start drinking? I mean, like, I, he eats like four things. So, I mean, it's not, it's, it, it, so he's not clamoring for it. But I guess I am curious when, uh, when that sort of thing could start. Yeah. I, and I think it tastes really good. And maybe you put some food coloring in there for him. You know, if you're new to this podcast, AG1, you got to try it. It's a small micro habit with big benefits. It supports better sleep quality and recovery, mental clarity, alertness. It's the one thing you could do every single day to take care of yourself. And right now it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition. It's just one scoop and a cup of water every day. That's it. Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D, really important this time of year, and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash majority. Again, that's athleticgreens.com slash majority to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. Let's talk about another stunning victory here, Jason. We won back control of the Senate. So since our last podcast, both Nevada and Arizona have been called for Democrats. And it looks like we are 
going to fall short in the House, but extremely narrow loss in the House where probably single digit Republican majority. I think this is a really good outcome for us. I know we just talked about like how bad the Senate map is in 2024, but this means that judges will get confirmed. It's possible we can get to 51 so we don't have to do all this crazy power sharing stuff with McConnell. It also means that we can block Republican crazy without Biden even having to use his veto. And it also means that if there's crazy impeachment shenanigans, that Schumer will have control about how that goes down. Yeah, there's probably going to be some crazy impeachment shenanigans. Actually, I probably not with this narrow of a thing. Who knows? McCarthy is such an empty suit. Like, who knows what, you know, he caves to. One thing I wanted to shout out as we talk about this is uh, winning back control of the Senate. A lot of people were like, what happened in Nevada? Like, why was... Now, there's a lot of things that happened in Nevada, but I actually said this to Catherine Cortez Masto um, the other day. Like, I don't think people have thought enough or considered enough about the difference between the different candidates that everybody had to face. Like, Mm -hmm. Catherine Cortez Masto did not face some crazy coming out of nowhere, election denying, you know, she faced the former attorney general of the state, who's also a legacy politician in the state, who's gotten votes before, is a very standard Republican, not standard like moderate, but standard like a name brand Republican they're used to in Nevada that they voted for before. So she, in my opinion, had the toughest challenge in terms of the toughest candidate to run against. So it's actually, on the one hand, you can be like, oh man, that was really close in Nevada. On the other hand, you can look at it and go, okay, we won the Secretary of State's race and we beat a really tough opponent in the Senate race. And we did this in a midterm. Now the governor lost. But you know, overall, I think it's actually a really good result there and, and everywhere else. So, so yeah. I can't believe we kept the Senate. <laughs> yeah, it's really wild. I mean, I think the shocker is that we were damn close to keeping the House, where I think our odds are 16%. And I tweeted out before the election that our odds were exactly the same that Trump's were in beating Hillary Clinton on election day in 2016. And I tweeted that out to try to like pump people up, but I didn't even believe, like, you know, 16%. Like, you know what's funny about that is that if you look at the House map and the way the votes went, is that if you match them up with the Electoral College, we actually won the Electoral College for the House and narrowly lost the popular vote. So, same result that Trump got. Yeah, actually. and I, I think the popular vote will probably narrow a little bit once all the California vote is yeah, in, but I think we right. still fell short. And there's a lot of people saying, hey, if it were redistricting, we'd pick up more seats. Yeah, definitely. But you look in some of these states, New York is a good example. There's a huge debate going on about New York's redistricting and the future of the party and all that. There are some Democrats who lost in Biden plus 10 and more districts. That has that wasn't a redistricting loss. That has a messaging loss. And I think one thing we learned is that a lot of these races are very local this year. So like, like the way people perceive the status quo in New York is very different than the way they're perceiving it in Arizona and Nevada and you know different in Florida, as we all know. And I think that there are going to be state-by-state debates going on, hyper-local debates about the Democratic brand. And I would say in New York, the Democratic brand is not very strong. And if we want to take the House back in 2024, which I think a a very possible scenario is we win the House and lose the Senate in 2024. In the end, like we can at least guarantee that we don't have a Republican trifecta for the near future. 
And obviously, I think with the speed at which we can get these judges confirmed is going to be really important. Because if you think about what Trump did in his last two years, he stacked the judiciary and it's time for Democrats to get ruthless on this kind of stuff. Well, we've got mostly great candidates in these really insanely hard districts in 2024. So John Tester, there's nobody better. You got Joe Manchin, who whatever you think about him is by far the best candidate we can field in West Virginia. And Sherrod Brown is by far the best candidate we could field in Ohio. These are three excellent candidates for their states. Now, Kirsten Cinema, whew. Not there, an excellent candidate. Well, there is an argument to be made that she's really popular with independents in Arizona. And I, I'll follow the data. I don't love her, but I'll follow the data. Not that I, my opinion matters at all in Arizona. I don't vote there, but I could be persuaded that she's a strong candidate. It would take a whole lot of persuading, given how she's conducted herself. But she may not even run again. You know, Biden needs to start. There was a funny tweet out there that Biden should start offering ambassadorships to all these New York uh, Republican congressional members, just like start sending them to to prime locations, and maybe you know even like the tweet also said judgeships, but I wouldn't go that far. Let's give them stuff that's not it, as That's meaningful. a real thing. People joke, but like that happens in state government all the time. Yeah. Like I, I remember when we had a Democratic governor and I was in the in the state house, like, and he was trying to, you know, get his numbers where he needed them to be. Like there were Republicans getting appointed to cabinet positions left and right, man. And, and boy, it was making members of the caucus mad. So that happens, no doubt about it. The last item on this we should talk about is just like how to message this stuff. And I, I actually do think we have to message the momentum because- Momentum matters, particularly with independent voters. Like folks are just more inclined to gravitate toward the party that seems like it's winning. And, you know, we just said a few minutes ago, like we won these midterms. That's how we got to start talking about it. Like Mm -hmm. everywhere we got, we won the midterms. Like you said, we won three election cycles in a row. But if people hear that often enough, they're going to be like, well, there's a reason they keep winning. They Mm -hmm. must be better. People must think they're better. And it, it, it is a very persuasive thing. Yeah, we have so many good fundamentals. The infighting amongst the Republicans, the fact that inflation may finally be getting under control, and the fact that the conversation today, this is really good for Warnock, the conversation today is not about the woke Democrats or how out of touch we are and all that. It's about the MAGA Republicans and how they overplayed their hands and fielded terrible candidates. And their biggest weakness is the fact that they put up with this stuff for so long, you know, like, you know, Trump didn't make all these Republicans do all the crazy things they did. They went along with it, you know, and Roe is a perfect example. Like Trump, yeah, he played a role in that, but that was a 50 year project of the Republican party. They got what they wanted. They're the dog who caught the car to use the stale metaphor. And we just got to keep reminding voters of that. Like also, you know, Trump didn't make Rick Scott come out with his ridiculous platform to cut entitlements, you know, and Lindsey Graham to do the same or to float that abortion ban that Lindsey Graham was talking about. Like, they are their own worst enemies. And all these, in, this inviting Rick Scott versus McConnell, McCarthy versus Matt Gates, Trump versus DeSantis, probably, you know, Bannon, Infowars versus Ben Shapiro. Just break off the popcorn, enjoy the next year. Obviously, we're going to be in for a fight for 2024, but they will definitely be a wounded dog heading into that general election. And I think I'm just proud of our ability to hold it together. Like it it used to be Democrats in disarray, the AOC wing versus the Biden wing. I don't hear that much of that anymore at all. Like there was a little bit of that after the, the New York stuff, but by and large, I think people know what kind of candidates they want. And we're pretty good at picking them. There are a couple of you know candidates that I, I wish we could have back this cycle, but by and large, I, I love the slate we put up and they perform quite well. 
the other thing that's happened that I think is pretty interesting, and I think Biden administration needs credit for this, or the Biden political operation, is that they made a conscious choice to center uh, MAGA in the messaging and to move away from making it about owning Trump, making yeah. every, you know, because you can move away from Trump by just being like, well, I disagree with him on this or that, or no, I, I don't deny the results of the election or whatever. So by making a conscious choice a few months ago to go out and talk about MAGA Republicans and extremism, they really did to them what had been done to us with quote unquote wokeism. And it's funny because you and I, like we actively were looking for a word. We came up with fake triots that one of the listeners came up with. But really, I think it turns out that the alternative is MAGA. And it's really important because Trump may be fading from the scene, yeah. but the idea of MAGA Republicans is not, and it's going to remain a stain on them. That's huge to have made that pivot. And it's amazing that Trump, when he announced yesterday, his slogan was what? Make America great again. He didn't even change the slogan. So it's kind of lazy. He, and he's looking to the past, not to the future. And that is not a winning recipe. One last thing on this is just tactics. So there were a couple articles out here that were, I think, just a little inside baseball stuff here. Uh, two interesting facts. One is the Senate Democratic campaign arm spent more on field organizing than they did on television ads for the first time ever. And the second is Republican campaigns almost completely ceded digital campaigning to Democrats. Uh, this is after dramatically outspending Democrats in digital media over the last two cycles. This is these are two rather surprising pieces of information. Yeah. The first one makes sense to me because like, who's watching TV ads that much anymore? You know, I see the political ads because like, they put them in a lot of live sporting events, right? And that tends to be, if the TV's on in my house, it's usually that if it's like actual TV as opposed to like, you know, Disney Plus or whatever. Right. Um, so it's, I see them, but... I, Man, I couldn't quote one back to you. Like, I, I just, no, maybe I it's because like- Tom Malinowski, Inside Training Congress. That's the one I keep seeing. Well, that time. worked. Didn't yeah. he lose? Did he lose? I don't even know. I didn't- I didn't. I feel bad. I know Tom. I knew him that. from the UN days a little bit because yeah. he was at Human Rights Watch. But I, there was that one. There's honestly, I'm, I, I follow this stuff for a living and I'm getting so many ads in, in, during these Buffalo Bills games that I'm like, I don't even keep track. I like got after a while, my head's spinning. I don't know who the Democrat is, who's the Republican- you know, yeah, you like can't tell because also there's so many third party ads. Right. Point is, I think people are largely tuning them out. If you can create a, a content that can go viral somehow, that's different. But like if you're just putting up your 30 seconds, yeah, it's way, particularly in a midterm, it's a way better use of your resources to spend it on field to go out, find your voters and get them to the polls. Right. right? Like go communicate with them and make it easy for them and get them to the polls. That makes Way more sense and it was clearly a much better use of resources. Now, the second thing about the digital campaigning, maybe it's because I'm, you know, I've been out of the day to day long enough. I don't really understand this. I don't. Why would the Republicans not get into this the way they did last time? I think I it's partially it. a reflection of how fractured the Republicans are right now, which is Rick Scott has his own Senate pack. McConnell has his. They're fighting. They're not communicating really well. You also have like the Trump specter where traditionally what the RNC would be doing is helping out with this kind of stuff and Trump's war chest would come into play, but he's raising all this money for himself. <laughs> and they're all split. There's the Rick Scott wing, McConnell and all that. And I think my sense is they weren't planning really well ahead in these races, but they were making 
investments here and there in a herky-jerky fashion, playing chicken with each other. And they weren't investing in this sort of long-term game of collecting data messaging to voters in the way that, for instance, Tara McGowan, I, I interviewed her last week from uh, what used to be called acronym, which is now called Good Information, is we now have all these democratic groups that are, you know, every year, whether it's an election year or not, are testing ads, building strong databases, putting that stuff out there. You know, Tara also has like all these newsrooms across the country that are local newsrooms that she works with that are putting out content and she's targeting that ad, those ads to voters from what I understand. So like these operations are getting more and more sophisticated and because of the harmony within the Democratic Party, a sentence I thought I would never say, like because of our harmony and also because Biden's not a grifter in the way that Trump is, we have like a pretty stable long-term operation going on right now. And that's pretty awesome. They were completely taking for granted the idea that they would take over. And so they were so busy jockeying for a position of who would be in what spot. It's And that always gets you, man. Like I, I always make these Missouri references because it's what I grew up in politically. But, you know, Democrats lost the state legislature here after having it for decades in 2002. And when we lost it, that election cycle, the Democratic leadership in the state legislature had spent that election cycle not running around, you know, making sure they're getting the right candidates and protecting them. They'd been running around trying to secure votes for the leadership race that was coming up, yep. right? That's what they were all doing. And it sounds like that's what the that's what the Republicans were doing, both in the Senate and the House, frankly. It, it's not surprising to me that McConnell will end up being, because I'm sure he will, will end up being the, uh, the minority leader um, because, you know, that's a really small caucus and there's just so many people in there that owe him, right? But McCarthy hasn't been the leader that long, and he clearly is totally incompetent. I'm just like as a I don't know how that guy gets from his front door to his office. Like, I mean, the dude is just tripping over himself constantly and can't decide who he's going to line up with and what he's going to say. And, you know, one minute he's defending Liz Cheney. The next minute he's casting her out. One minute he's calling on Trump to resign. The next minute he's like, oh, yeah, you know, I'm ride or die. I mean, the guy is just a tool. I am shocked that he's ultimately probably going to be the speaker. Imagine being like, you know, a, a couple of Matt Gates's and Marjorie Taylor Greens away from losing your majority at any point where you like basically each one of them has like a veto over everything you do. I mean, it's going to be insane. I have a friend who's a, a member of Congress and has at least toyed with the idea of leadership stuff. And I recently said to him, the idea of having to get votes from other politicians is my worst nightmare. <laughs> and I told him, and I have some pretty bad nightmares. <laughs> like, so I, 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 I don't, I, I just can't imagine wanting to do that. But also, like, particularly in the situation McCarthy's in, there was a, a great moment when they interviewed Nancy Pelosi and they asked her, you know, do you think Kevin McCarthy is up to the job of speaker? You are uniquely uh, qualified to understand what it takes to be Speaker of the House. I Does he have it? No, why would I make a judgment about something that may or may not ever happen? Uh, no, I don't think he has it, but that's up to his own people to make a decision. She was like, look, that's not for me to decide. Bunch of diplomatic stuff. She goes, but no, he's not. It's <laughs> <laughs> good comedic timing. All right, we are still uh, taking 
auditions slash applications slash whatever, you know, pitches for being the person who we bring on the show in the next few days to be like our, our person to help everybody get ready for their Thanksgiving dinner. So you come on, we will advise you on how to approach your Thanksgiving dinner with your family if you're going to have some difficult political conversations. And then that will be, you know, a learning point for everybody else as they listen to that conversation. So if, if you think you, or maybe you want to bring on your conservative family member with you or something, if you feel like you are a good candidate for this, you can either email us or call us. You can call us at 508-687-2589, 508-687-2589. You can email us m54 at wondermedianetwork.com, m54 at wondermedianetwork.com. As always, I'm at Jason Kander on Instagram and Twitter. Ravi is at Ravi M. Gupta on Twitter and Instagram. The show is at majority 50 on Twitter. Remember, we all have a platform. Make sure to use yours today. Majority 54 is a Wonder Media Network production. It's produced by Grace Lynch, Edie Allard, Ade Swag Benile, and Sarah Schleed. Theme music provided by Kemet Coleman. A special thanks to Diana Kander. Hi, listeners. It's Robbie with a question for you. What if instead of being on the brink of disaster, we're on the cusp of a better world? For that answer, I recommend listening to the What Could Go Right podcast. Each week, Progress Network founders Zachary Carabell and Executive Director Emma Varva Lucas dive into the biggest news and most pressing topics of our time, from elections to climate change, and make the case for a brighter future with guests like Harvard professor Arthur C. Brooks and California State Senator Robert Hertzberg. Progress is on the way. Find out on What Could Go Right, available wherever you get your podcasts.